Let's pray. Lord God, we stand secure in this moment knowing that you are here with us. And we ask, O oh God, for your spirit to come and speak to our hearts. Help us to listen, O oh God, to what you want to say to us. Help us be open to what you want to say to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Makers are trending these days. Makers make many things. Sweaters, cutting boards, jewelry, clothing, furniture, beer, stamps, 3D printing devices, toys, robots, tiles, etc., etc., etc. Makers teach many things. Using your hands, using your brains, using your creativity, using well-tested design practice, using your courage, using your patience, etc., etc., etc. You can watch videos of makers making. You can gather with others for makers for making. You can take classes and go on retreats to delve more deeply into making. Makers are everywhere. The scripture today talks about the ultimate maker, God. At first read, these two verses from Ecclesiastes seem plain enough. They begin by asking us to consider what God has done. Using the metaphor, writing straight with cro crooked lines, the preacher, who is our teacher these days, affirms again, yes, our life stories all have good times and not so good. Okay, got that. No one can predict their future. Roger that. But I stumble quickly on the sentence, God has made the one as well as the other. Made? God made the good and the bad? Really? When I think of making, I think of hands, a hands-on creative interaction with physical materials that end in hopefully a beautiful and useful item. That's what I think of when I think of making. Makers make. God makes. How does God make? What does it mean that God makes? I'm feeling uncomfortable, preacher. The Bible teaches us that God created the heavens and the earth and all that is within it. This happened many moons ago. So to think about God's concrete activity of making these days in the same way as God did in the beginning of time doesn't make sense. At least to me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Of course, when I ponder deep things, as the universe continues to expand, God could be making new worlds and galaxies far, far away. But I digress. There must be something here for us. Consider what God has done. 
are the first words we hear in today's lesson. A plain reading is heard as the clear exhortation to consider God's active presence in our lives. Consider. Consider. Reflect on how God has and is now active in every part of our lives, we hear the text say to us. This proverbial wisdom, much like Ecclesiastes 3, teaches us that everything, everything has a season, a time for both day and night, sadness and joy, planting and reaping. God holds it all. Here we are exhorted, when it is good, be happy. When it is bad, remember God is in that too. We cannot control what happens or ward off any impending suffering. We cannot predict our own storylines and their endings. We can't do it. We can't do it. We can, however... Learn to recognize God's presence with us in both the highs and the lows. We can learn to choose to receive whatever is, whatever it is, as a point of grace. But this learning doesn't come easily, and we can struggle with making meaning. So here's a story from my own life. My mom died when I was a young girl, and for a long time I struggled to make sense of it. Who can make sense of that? But anyway, I struggled to make sense of it. So the story that I rehearsed in my head, and I would say for all those who would listen, was this. My mom died of esophageal cancer. And knowingly, I would say in a very little girl voice, I would add, the reason she got cancer was that she was a smoker, you see. Before anyone knew that smoking caused cancer, she smoked. And by the time they started warning people about smoking's dangers, it was too late. If she wouldn't have smoked, she would have lived a lot longer. Makes a lot of sense. There's nothing wrong with the facts of that story or even saying that out loud. It does, however, I think, have a fallacy that we all embrace from time to time. We try to figure out why bad things happen to us. We try to figure it out. We carefully trace it back to a choice we or someone else made. We kind of try to figure that out. Or our DNA or the environment, or the government, or sin, or evil, or the devil, or whatever. We try to make sense. I don't know about you, but when I feel I understand something, when I can figure it out somehow, even if it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I feel a little bit better. I try to reason myself out of the pain or the questions that I hold. I try to reason myself. I'm really good going right up into my head and trying to figure it out. If God is in this, I say to myself, there must be a reason why. 
But when the cancer diagnosis comes out of the blue or a car crashes into another car and leaves people dead or maimed for life, when a miscarriage happens, when a friend betrays you, the sense of the matter doesn't come as easily. It's like, I don't understand this. We feel helpless and we feel alone. And we try to fend in a world that doesn't make a lot of sense. Why does this happen? Why does this happen to that person over there? Why did that happen to me? What does that, why does that happen at all? In the blog post, Point of Job, so the book, Job, Greg Boyd posits a response to these questions. So there's much more words in this blog post because he is a man of many, many, many words. So here's a little snippet. A recent development in science helps for it highlights the interconnected complexity of life and the impossibility of our ever exhaustively comprehending it. He's a man of many crazy words, big words. <laughs> this is called chaos theory. We might think of the overall state of the cosmos at any given moment as the total pattern of ripples of a constant stream of rocks thrown into a pond. Each ripple interacts with other ripples, creating inference patterns. Every event... Every decision that takes place in history is such an inter in interference pattern. They are the results of multitudes of decisions intersecting with one another in various ways. At once each event or decision occurs, then they contribute to all subsequent interference patterns. Boyd goes on. We, finite humans, have no means of knowing the innumerable variables that ex would explain why things happen the precise way they happen. Whether we are speaking of human decisions, angelic decisions, or the flap of butterfly wings, the creation is too vast and complex for us to get our minds around. Yet every detail affects the course of things at least a small way. Hence, we experience life as largely arbitrary. My experiences, then, according to chaos theory, whether good or bad, are all because someone somewhere or something some impacted something else for health or ill. What I understand is God didn't do it. We did it. They did it. We all did it. Applying chaos theory to understand life's arbitrariness and consequential suffering, we experience maybe a geeky form of everything happens for a reason that Kate Bowler points out in the memoir of the same, strangely explaining why life's uncertainties are due now to some kind of cosmic, causal ripple. Bah humbug. <laughs> bah humbug. Mm. We try. I mean, we try. 
The best thinkers try. What, why is it the way it is? But this leaves me high and dry. I'm still arguing with the preacher here. With the futility of struggling with the why questions, which in the end does not lead me, or I would say us, to experience a meaningful life. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, what is needed is a friend's hand to hold and words of love. Maybe what is needed are fewer words trying to explain and an increased room for God's mysteries to unfold. The more I think about such things, the more I know. I know I don't know. I don't know. Man, I really don't know. But there are two experiences that the preacher mentions. It's the bad, and the first part of the sermon is more about how do we deal with this, you know, when it, things feel overwhelming and place of suffering. But there's also the good. So to, so to do justice to what the preacher's words are saying today, we have to talk about both. For me, I know, I know I need to get better at celebrating when times are good. I need to get better at celebrating when times are good. I need to admit I sometimes stave off the bad with with a strange stuffing of joy's potential gift. I kind of I, I think I'm I'm kind of doing this formula in my head. I'm gonna stave off the the joy off the bad by stuffing down the joy. I'm not going to get too happy about anything because then it'll, you know. Depending on our life stories and how we are wired as people, joy might even be, be the harder place to make space for than suffering. As some of us, I am one of them, joy's harder than suffering. For me, I actually attempt to manage joy. I attempt to manage joy, my confession to you. I do that. I do that a lot. This week, the text confronted me in my own coping strategies to never get too high on the good, or else, you know, you're going to tumble and fall down into the pit. Jonathan Merritt, in the book, How to Speak God from Scratch, talks about this phenomena when he talks about dopamine. So here's a little snippet from his book. Here here is how it works. Your brain generates expectations about the future. Often these expectations are based on what you want. Something you perceive as good has happened in the past, so you begin to predict it will happen in the future. But this isn't bad. This is neutral, you know. So we do this. Before it even happens, your dopamine levels, I don't know where dopamine, is it in your brain or is it in your brain? Okay, your dopamine levels begin to rise in response to your expectation. You feel the rush, it's fun when that happens, rush of anticipation. Then when that good thing actually occurs, you get a double shot of dopamine. Oh, this is fun. (laughs) Release the joy. 
Merit goes on. Here's the rub, though. Life doesn't always give us what we expect. People fail us. People hurt us. People lay us on the altars of their own selfishness. When we don't get the desired result, you experience what researchers call a reward prediction error. A reward prediction error. Not only do your dopamine's levels fall, they plummet from the heightened level generated by your expectations. Manage joy. I knew this was happening. I managed that. I don't want that. My lows are pretty low. And I, you know, the higher I go, the lower I fall. I'm going to manage that. Now instead, he goes on, in, now instead of receiving a double shot of dopamine, you receive none. Zero. Nothing. You crash doubly hard. Not only do you not get what you wanted, but you also feel the displeasure of having been wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. The point? Losing hurts even worse when it's not what you were expecting. <sighs> Anne Lamont points out in a very Anne Lamont sort of way, ex expectations are resentments under construction. <laughs> expectations are resentments under construction. Oh yeah, I'm going to manage joy right out of my life. Gall darn it. I don't want to go that low. I don't want to. I don't want my expectations dashed. It scares me. When we expect happiness, we set ourselves up for disappointment. When we expect. Notice the word expect. Expect. In that sentence. Instead, this is what I'm positing to you, instead, when we practice the opening our hands to the good, opening our hands to the good, not in entitlement, I deserve this, not in entitlement, but as gift, but as gift. Saying instead, I, I don't deserve it. I don't, you know, I don't deserve it. Because whatever it is, it's grace. It's all grace. So whatever happens then, my hands are open. My hands are open. Not like woof woof. It's like this. When I'm able to open my hands like this to the good, then I can accept the gift with humility and gratitude. I can accept the gift of the good as a gift, maybe even a, a bringer of healing and release and deliverance, a meaningful life, highs and lows, God in the center. What if we take the text at its word? 
and stop our futile, very Ecclesiastes word, our futile striving to know and to manage the bad and the good. Stop the striving. What if we stop doing battle with life, you know, like, oh, dang it, why isn't it this way? Why can't it be that way? But instead, daily consider our God as in the middle of our lives, in the middle of the life of the world. Our maker God, who is merciful, filled activity. Ever creating, ever new, is always near. In the highs and the lows, God is present. So do not be afraid, little flock, for the Father is pleased. Is pleased to give you the kingdom. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that you hold us in your loving arms. That you would help us to unclasp our closed fists. That we would gratefully receive the what is of life and mysteriously by your grace find you there. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.